She's the one you bring home to mama when you're sick of being a disappointment Franny Choi. And they're a wet dream within a wet dream. Danette Smith. <laughs> and welcome to Versus, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Presented by the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness. Perfect. A.K.A. Pofo and Polo. Hey. Ben had Polo. <laughs> ben had Polo. Shout out to Ralph Lauren. Shout out to Ralph Lauren. Auntie shout out to Tommy Hilfiger. Wow. Mm-hmm. He Thank still you. said racist stuff in the 90s. You remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does he still say racist stuff though? I don't know. Nobody wears Tommy Hilfiger anymore. Who cares? Sometimes I see it and I'm like, really? <laughs> Is that more about him or about that person's fashion choices? It's more about myself. He does make I the think. sheets though. I will say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how you doing, Franny? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm hella excited to bring everybody this conversation that we had with the one and only Casey Rochateau. Yeah, a.k.a. Casey Brochateau. Am I right? <laughs> uh, Am I wrong? Casey Brochateau. Uh, <laughs> anyway, poetry. <laughs> poetry. <laughs> yeah, I love Casey. Mm-hmm. They're one of my favorite people and also like the one of the most brave mm-hmm. humans I've ever met, just like constantly confronting the world, which yeah. is what, you know, all of the poets that we interview here on Versus do. But yeah. Casey does it with such a fire that I really admire. Yeah, I knew the first time I met Casey that I had met the human embodiment of the song Nuck If You Buck. If like Nuck If You Buck is like the smartest person on earth and we're like, we'll fight you. <laughs> you know? You know? But fight, fight you with, with her brain. And fists sometimes. And also fists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty and sure fashion. Casey can knock a mug out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things we talked about with Casey as we'll get to in the conversation is a deck of tarot cards that she made. And so I was thinking that maybe me and you, Franny, that we could just like pull a little tarot card oh one God. time just to see what like our fates are. I'm about to know? be so exposed on air. I know. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay. All right. We'll All right, see. Cool. I'm ready. Can you? I, I can interpret that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had tarot cards in my bag. Oh, right, 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 <laughs> I can interpret them. Um, I pick one, boo. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, there you go. King of Cups. Whoa. Wheel of Fortune. Oh my God. I'm gonna have some big money, stuff. big money. Big money, big money. Okay, so the King of Cups is wise. He's calm. He's like diplomatic. He's caring. He's tolerant. If he pops up, that means that the cards are asking you to take actions as if you were the King of Cups. So like to be oh. like him in your decisions, right? Okay. Um, so probably so what this deck is saying is that I've been acting a fool. Yeah. And running into the fire headlong. Yeah, that you've been brash and angry and like uncaring. I should be more team mystic. Yeah. Yeah. Team. Whatever the other one is, uh, team the I red one, the red one. Whatever. I don't, I don't remember those things. Um, whereas the Wheel of Fortune for me is a my grandma's favorite show. I don't think my grandma's <laughs> missed an episode of the Wheel of Fortune since like 1983. <laughs> uh, but it speaks a lot about destiny, about turning points, about movements, and about personal vision, which is great because I'm on like the verge of my 28th birthday, which makes me feel like I'm about to come Saturn's into this return. young Saturn's return, and yes. so I need to like you know now is like the time of my life when I'm actually supposed to be becoming an adult. So maybe that's turning. <laughs> Point that I'm mm-hmm. just talking about because mm-hmm. I've been like playing like a nig is like 2020 uh, <laughs> for a very long time, which I feel like is the height of responsibility that I could hold. But trying to be trying to be a full grown man. Yeah, here, I think know? I think both of these cards are saying get your shit together, yeah. y'all. Yeah. <laughs> this is what they're saying. I think I think that's I think that's what it is. It's sound advice. Yeah, I'm not gonna go against it. You know who does have their shit together? Casey, Casey Rochateau, <laughs> yeah, she really does. She really do. So Casey Rochateau was born in Cape Cod and raised as a sea witch. Winner of the inaugural Writer House Permanent Residency in Detroit in 2014, Casey has attended the Callaloo Writers Workshop, Cave Canem, and the Breadloaf Writers Conference in Sicily. They are the writer-in-residence at Inside Out Literary Arts Detroit and uh, the editor-in-chief of Kinfolk's Quarterly and Heart Online Journal. Their second poetry collection, The Dozen, was released on Sibling Rivalry in 2016. Let's go ahead and jump into this 
Einstein with Casey Attorney Rush General of my heart. Woo woo! Editor in chief of awesome. <laughs> Um, okay, we're really excited to have Casey Rocheteau in the studio with us here today. Hi, Casey. You're the best. Hi. Um, Casey is a poet and writes plays mm-hmm. and makes, makes tarot, tarot cards. cards. Yeah. Yo, Casey Rocheteau is the author of The Dozen and Knocked Up on Yes, two fabulous poetry collections yes. that I love and that often stay on my coffee table. Uh, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. I'm filled with pizza and sugar. I'm feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> you are just like killing it like in like a five-year-old's birthday party. Totally. Like. <laughs> totally. Five-year-old me doesn't know what a podcast is, but you know. But it sounds like a cool kind of spaceship that you might want to write on. Yeah. Sure. Five-year-old you also didn't win a house for like the like poem you wrote. Yeah. But, but that's also good. That is true. For those of you who don't know, we're not going to talk about this a lot because there are are literally 8,000 interviews Just on Google the Google Casey Rocheteau, right? <laughs> it will house. come out, yeah. <laughs> so you know what's obnoxious? <laughs> this is the most obnoxious thing. If you just type in my first name, the word poet, and Detroit, all that shit comes up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we're kind of talking around it, but uh, Casey Rocheteau was the first winner of the Write a House competition in Detroit, which means yes. that she turned in a packet of like, 10 poems and then um, in return they were like here's the keys to a whole ass house that's yours which you uh, own which now. is the coolest thing ever um, we're not gonna really like we said we're not gonna dig in on it but I wanna know like that was what three years ago now it's just about part of the Write a House program is to like get poets um, infuse themselves within like the Detroit community how are you liking it not so far like what what's your relationship with Detroit now now that you like have won the house and you know I've been you, here for it's a been while, dirty yeah. and you've cleaned it up and it's been <laughs> sure sure I don't think I've ever felt as comfortable living any other place. Mm. Wow. Um, one of the things that I still don't do is drive. And anyone who's from here is like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just because I'm from the East Coast and it's, mm-hmm. it was never a priority. But I was in an Uber and the driver told me I had a very heavy Detroit accent. Really? Yeah, like two weeks ago. And I just, existential crisis. Like immediately, I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? Like what even is a Detroit accent? (laughs) But I think one of the things that I consistently have loved about Detroit is the people in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And that's crucial to caring about a place. Yeah. 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 I feel like I've had the friendliest conversations with strangers in Detroit Mm -hmm. than in any other city. Mm -hmm. They're so nice. I went on a run this morning and like literally like at the end of my run, I'm like vomiting into the Detroit River because... I was, like, sick and it was hot. Still, the, like, vomit coming out of my body did not stop old ladies from, like, passing by me being like, hey, how's it going? And I was just like, you know, throwing up. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, but but you have a great day, (laughs) ma'am. I, the first time I came out here after I won the house, Mm I, uh... Was living in Brooklyn at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Brooklyn is the way that it is. Yep. And then I, I get here and... That's a t-shirt. <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn is the is way that it is. Uh, <laughs> but I walked down part of Corktown, just down the street, and like eight people said hi to me on the street. And I was like, mm. oh, I already love it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing is like street harassment is... Because it's not very much a walking city, mm-hmm. I feel like I don't ever have to engage with that. Mm. But that's amazing. Yeah. But the first day I was here, I got hollered at one time and it was the funniest time I've ever been hollered at in oh my, my life. This old dude just goes, hey, little mama, you like Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was just, in my head, I'm like, I really love Star Trek. I don't want to see where this is going. <laughs> Before he starts going like, you want this Deep Space Nine? Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yo, that hey. bravo, bravo. Hey. Well yeah. done. I was like, wait, well done. Well done. <laughs> do you think your writing has changed since you was like? Do you see Detroit popping up, or like even like a Detroit-ish energy? You know, like from being around the writers here, from living here, from walking here. Uh, is Detroit popping up in your writing? Do you see it influencing you? I think when Detroit pops up in my writing, it's usually these like weird moments that happen. There's just a lot of sort of surreal interactions with other humans. Mm-hmm. That will happen, like, right around my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I wrote this poem. It was about this guy. There's an alley Mm -hmm. right behind my backyard. And he was just dragging a water heater. Hmm. Like, he had scrapped it from a house and Mm -hmm. he was taking it, right? And he was just like, are you here for me? What? (laughs) I was like... (laughs) <laughs> nah, I'm going into my backyard of my house. And then he then he went, because this is mine. <laughs> and I was just like, no. There's like the no, le- least convincing thing that you could say yeah, to convince like, someone that something is yours. I know. I really just wanted to be like, sir, if that was yours, you wouldn't be dragging it through an alley. Like, that's not how this works. Nah. But I'm not going to tell on you. Like, it, it is what it is. He, but He was a sentence away from saying finders keepers. Legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be like moments like that or like even... I find that like sometimes like these plumes of smoke appear in poems that mm. I'm writing and it's... Arson is so real here Mm -hmm. and there are times where it's like you're driving down the highway and it's just a pillar of smoke to Mm -hmm. the sky and I feel like that kind of imagery like I can't escape it Mm. at all I think it's it's sort of soaking into my brain every poet I know in Detroit writes really differently from each other Mm -hmm. I was about to ask do you feel like there's like a Detroit poetics or a Detroit I think that I okay so Maybe my first, like, holiday season here. I got invited to what they were calling the Detroit School. Mm -hmm. To me, there's not an aesthetic that defines those people. Mm -hmm. The thing that defines them as a group is that they happen to all be in the same place and all be excellent at their craft. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excellence is the thing. Yeah, so if if that's an aesthetic... Detroit excellence. Yeah, the aesthetic, is, the aesthetic of Detroit is finding your aesthetic. Yeah, right, right. Like, you know that linguistic diversity because it's also true. Like, I am always really impressed by like the Detroit youth poetry slam teams. Whenever I go to mm-hmm. Brave New Voices, even at such a young age, they are so wonderfully original that I don't even know what to do with like these 16 year olds that I'm just like you have a voice like at 16 I was still trying to be every other poet okay I was trying to be Sheehan I was trying to be Patricia Smith I was trying to be like some I I don't know who else I I, I was trying to be uh, Saul Williams but I definitely didn't know what it meant to be myself Mm -hmm. and like people from Detroit you're right they just have this wholly unique thing I don't know I don't know maybe I I need to maybe it's like a spirit of like nothing is guaranteed and everything is possible (laughs) which I feel like I feel like is pervasive throughout I mean Detroit organizing the little that I know about it seems to be in that vein yeah I think it's also very much a culture of the genuine Hmm. because when I moved I especially with all the press around right house I was just like I'm like the most celebrated gentrifier in the city and I feel you know and it felt gross in a lot of ways yeah. and I but I expected to get a lot more pushback and have to have a lot of hard conversations mm-hmm. with myself and with other people and that didn't happen in, at all really mm-hmm. but I've been told by people who are Detroiters part of it is because you are genuine like mm-hmm. we can tell that you're being real and you're being yourself and you're not trying to come off as anything other than that and that's mm-hmm. something that I think is super valued mm-hmm. 
How do you keep it real? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I have a choice. I, I, I very often find that I, I'm saying things; they're coming out of my mouth, and I am. There's. I've not even thought about mm-hmm. really, and then I, it comes out, and somebody's like, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, like, was oh, I not supposed to do that? Casey Rochetto ass moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've known you for a while, and I, I've known you were very real since the beginning, but I. I didn't know exactly how real you were until you made a collective called Can't Take These Niggas Nowhere, <laughs> a.k.a. Cotton. <laughs> Which oh, is, that's what that stands for? Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how it got Cotton Club. It was like, if we were going to have a collective called Can't Take These Niggas Nowhere, it was like, either nobody was going to be able to say it or we we're going to have to come up with an acronym. And it's mm-hmm. CTTNN. That's Can't incredible. take these niggas nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Me and Franny are in a collective. And I think I always like hearing from other collectives, like what it's like to like sort of gather intentionally around your art. And sure. Around other people. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like for y'all? I don't know what it's like to be in another collective. Mm-hmm. The thing that we're really most interested in is collaborating with each other mm-hmm. on projects, mm-hmm. which is a little bit harder to do with writers, you know, mm-hmm. because like it doesn't necessarily meld well. Right. Mm-hmm. But we do a lot of research together, right? We spent a whole day last summer just thinking about black circus performers and the history of sort of like the Chitlin circuit. And part of what we ended up talking about was this idea of the laughing barrel. Hmm. I didn't actually know about this until Jonah told me in the times of slavery, Mm -hmm. in some places they considered it to be offensive for black people to laugh. If you felt like you were going to laugh and you were enslaved, you had to go run out into like the middle of a field, tip the whole top half of your body into this barrel and laugh into the barrel. What? That's a real thing. And so Ralph Elson wrote this whole essay about it and Mm. we started talking about it. So we, we started with that sort of like day of research and like thinking about these things. And so we started working on a project. And at one point we took all just like hours and hours of audio files and pulled out all of the like bursts of Mm. laughter Mm. and stitched them back together in one sort of longer cut that is called the laughing barrel. Wow. Mm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And eventually our plan is to actually make a physical manifestation of the barrel itself Mm -hmm. so that you have like this barrel and then you knock it over and it just makes this like raucous, just like, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 This recording of it is somewhere on the Harriet blog and I think on SoundCloud, but the way that it's edited together, there are like these sort of moments where you get to hear like a full conversation. Mm. So like at one point we're talking and we're joking around, we're laughing and I was looking for something and I opened this poetry book and I opened to if we must die. And then I read the whole poem and that recording is actually contained within Wow. The, the sound file. Dope. Mm. Yeah. Yo, I'm like, I, I don't know. I just need to take like a black people moment. Because, <laughs> yo, history is crazy, right? Yeah. Because like the physicality of black laughter, like, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit astonished because, you know, I, I have often run out of a room with laughter. Sure. Just, right? You know, yeah. I'm like, ooh, ooh, research. So, so research is a way, as a way of collaboration. That's really dope. Do you have any other projects that like y'all have in mind? Like what's new and popping with Can't Jake Y'all Niggas Nowhere? Well, so one of the other things that that has come out of this, we had a lot of conversations about existentialism. Mm-hmm. That's so existential. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like kind of silly, but one of the things about it is because so Jonah has these series of poems that like will often be titled, at least in part, like Black Philosophy or Black Epistemology, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're having these conversations about existentialism as a philosophy and 
He wrote... (laughs) Sorry, I crack up every time I think about this. Jonah rewrote the myth of Sisyphus Mm -hmm. to be called the myth of Nigophis. And instead of... Can't. Instead of it being a rock that he has to roll up the mountain, it's a giant watermelon. Oh no! Oh, and, oh yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it's really, really incredible. Like what happens in his version of the story. But Camus wrote this, uh, the myth of Sisyphus, mm-hmm. and Camus' idea behind it was that you have to imagine Sisyphus is happy because he knows the deal. Mm-hmm. He's died. He knows that this is the rest of his life, and so there's a certain amount of contentment that has to come with knowing versus not knowing. We started doing research around that, right? Mm -hmm. So Sartre and Camus, a lot of their philosophy around existentialism comes out of living under the Vichy government in France when the Mm -hmm. Nazis took over. (laughs) And I think this is so strange and I think it's so weirdly applicable to black life in America in a different way. But their feeling was like they had never felt more free than when they had to live under the Nazi dictatorship. Whoa. Because they just there was no option. You just had to take it and live with it. And I'm like, that's like, I think that that's insane. And I'm like, that is a very French, very white thing. Because it's not that's when you were truly free. It's you first appreciated your own freedom, freedom in, the state of in that moment because you never had to deal with this before. Mm-hmm. I don't think oppression makes you freer. No. You know? Certainly not. Right. No. no. <laughs> but uh, so the myth of Sisyphus, that Camus book, and Sartre's No Exit were mm-hmm. written in the same like two-year period mm-hmm. uh, when the Nazis were in France. And so Jonah was doing that and I was thinking more about No Exit because the point of No Exit, the like tagline from that play is Hell is Other People. Mm-hmm. It's a very short play. Mm-hmm. They had curfews, so they only had a limited amount of time where they could actually perform this play, which is why it's like a one-act play that's really short. Hmm. So I was taking that idea of No Exit, and I started to think about writing a play where it's the same kind of premise where you have these characters that are trapped in hell, but they don't necessarily know that it's hell. They don't even necessarily fully realize that they're dead immediately. Mm -hmm. But it's called No Exit Nowhere. If there's a central premise that is relatable to Sartre's it would be that hell is the white gaze. Hmm. There's a whole lot of other moving pieces. So there's going to be sort of a a filming component. So it's going to get turned into a film. Mm -hmm. I think the laughing barrel actually is going to be a part of the, the actual play. So that's kind of what we've been working on and thinking around. Cool. Is this your first play that you're writing? I wrote one like 10 minute play that was like just me. Okay. uh, Mm -hmm. Years ago. Wait. I mean, there there is like a black existentialist tradition in the U.S. I feel like even maybe like someone like Paul Beatty is someone yeah. who's like in that tradition and also sort of in like the like absurdism with like more satirical writing. Mm-hmm. Like, are there other black existentialists that you look to as as like people whose voices are in your work? When you're writing stuff like this? I mean, you know, like the, the, when you something seeps into your consciousness so far that you like even forget that it's there. Yes. Yep. I know the things that influenced me when I was younger are kind of like embedded in there. Mm-hmm. So that like anytime I go to write a poem, like Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass is in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. But like France went on. Right. I think about France went on all the time because there are th- ideas from Fanon that are so far embedded into my subconscious that mm-hmm. I don't even remember that they're, they're there. And I'll like go and like pick up Wretched of the Earth and be like, oh, yep, this is where I got this idea 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's real. I often have to double check that Langston Hughes or Lucille Clifton didn't write my poem Did first. Write yeah. Right yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, yeah, I just think I just straight up copied them. <laughs> but but you know, as long as as long as they don't tell, I won't either. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not as serious, but recently I rewatched The Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan version, and I was like, oh, everything I believe about love, I learned from this movie. Oops. <laughs> What? I don't know. But I, just, I was deeply disturbed. Also, from it. the Lindsay Lohan version and not the Olsen twin version? Were the, the Olsen twins? Didn't they have a version of the parent trap? No, I think it was like some other blonde twins. Yeah, it, they were pre Olsen. They were pre Olsen. Wait, hold up. Nah, you're not going to tell me. This is like Bernstein Bears. Hold up. You're not going to tell me. Wait, wait, wait. As opposed to what? Bernstein Bears. Bern- there's like, there's Bernstein? Like, there's like this whole theory that like we as like a planet like shifted into a new universe. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? what? We what? shifted into a new universe. And Where, that's that's the that only time. thing that changed. Yeah. Well, no, the Sinbad <gasps> genie movie got erased. That's the other thing. Is the S- Sim- Yo, Sinbad was in a genie movie and I don't care what Sinbad I, says. I know. I, re- I also remember this as I somehow. Think, yeah, I do too. Wait, he wasn't in a genie movie? He was in a genie movie. He claims that he was not in a genie movie. But what is the genie movie? I don't know. We can't find it. We all shifted into a new universe. <laughs> it's like in one Q84. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I, I, I swear to you, the universe that I was born in had an Olsen twin parent trap movie. No, no, no. I think you've just combined the blonde ones with the with Lindsay to Lindsay Lohan. Don't you dare tell me that I confused the Olsen twins with anybody. I respect Ashley and Mary-Kate. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Equally? A little bit more of an Ashley mm-hmm. fan. A little bit more of an Ashley fan. I found that to be a reasonable Not all twins are created equal. (laughs) (laughs) Recently, you made a tarot deck. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's in a museum, right? Yeah. Yeah. I graduated from grad school. I get a degree in history. I apply for this house. Don't know about it all summer. I'm working in an all-girls summer camp at Mount Holyoke for like three months. I come back to New York. Suddenly, my life is the weirdest. I had gotten into Breadloaf Sicily, and I was running an Indiegogo because I I didn't actually have the money to get to Sicily, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the perks was just these postcards, and I was like, well, let me just turn this into a whole-ass art project uh, (laughs) and make it way more work for myself. And I just collaged for about three days making these cards Mm. um, and made the bulk of the deck in that period of time. That's how I tend to work on a lot of things is that like it's just a lot comes out at once Mm -hmm. and then I go back and edit later. I had never intended to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. My roommate was just like, Casey, these cards are beautiful. Like they should be in a museum beautiful. Like what are you doing? Like Mm -hmm. you're giving original pieces of artwork to people as postcards and like not even thinking about it. You should really do something with this. And I was like, you got me hyped. Okay. (laughs) Think about that. Is there a theme for the deck? So it's called the Shrine of the Black Medusa. The name actually came after I'd started making the cards. Mm -hmm. And it was a play on the the Shrine of the Black Madonna. I was reading something and it was saying that the Greeks thought that the Gorgons may have lived on the Cape Verdean Islands. Wow. I was like, oh, snakes for hair? These <laughs> shady hoes, these shady Greek hoes. It's like those kinds of things that like they turned it into this monster, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I wanted to see a tarot deck that was m- m- black people. Hmm. That wasn't sure. like there's one deck, the the ghetto tarot, beautiful. I think they shot it in Haiti, the photographs, mm-hmm. but 
it's put together by these white people. It's totally like a creep shit Whoa, kind of thing. Really? Yes. Mm. And they named a ghetto tarot. Yes. It's it's yeah. White listeners don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like some step beyond appropriation. You know, just like a bridge too far. From appropriation to fuckery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One easy step. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the deck comes out of this idea of like almost like celebrating the monster because there's a power, especially with Medusa. It's like if somebody is terrified of you, thinks that you can turn them to stone, mm-hmm. use that. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> you know, like use that to your advantage. Um, I feel like the, the there's like a running thread here between some of these projects. There's finding yourself in this like place where you, Casey Rochto, as like a black queer woman has like not been traditionally found. I don't know. I, I feel like that's something that I, f- I find you doing so well is being like, actually, you know what? I'm right here. <laughs> I was right here all along. So let's hang out there for a second. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you kind of have to do that for yourself. You have to be the drag queen that points to where you are <laughs> on the stage. You know what I mean? I'm going to go here now. Here. That way. And then I'm going uh, there. <laughs> Because otherwise, you get these people coming and telling you where you are. And right. you're like, nah, why do you think I'm in Omaha? I'm actually in Denver. <laughs> like, that's not what's happening. Perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> I I had one interviewer do the thing where I'm, prob- I'm sure both of you have gotten questions like this, where it's like, so your poetry really gives a voice to the voiceless. And it's just like, what is a voiceless human? Yeah, like, no, unless no. you were mute and even then you still have a way to communicate. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. voiceless. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah, a thing. Yeah. No, I'm just speaking in a way where you appreciate listening. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm translating the thoughts of the comatose. Yeah. Just, no, yeah. No. I just, I like inserting myself and being like, okay, here's my lane. I know where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to come talk to me about how I'm doing protest poetry and <laughs> you can be over there. Yep. Do you think that is that the most annoying interview question that you get or is there what's the most annoying interview question? This happened before I ever even moved to Detroit mm-hmm. was do you think Detroit has changed the way that you write? And I know you asked kind of a variation of that question, but the way you asked it made more sense. When people were asking me before I moved to Detroit if I thought it would change the way that I wrote, I was just like, I don't know. Are you asking me if time and space have an impact on living? Probably. Fair. Fair response. I feel like there was a period where I got like, in interviews, like three people in a row asked, like, how does your identity affect your poetry? I was like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, like I don't know. Like, like I take my... my body and I make a poem with yeah, it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I have legs and that affects my poetry too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And also that's shorthand for you are Asian. Right. Talk about it. Yeah. yeah. What's that what about? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Explain. Say yeah. more. <laughs> Asian, say more. Hmm. No? Yeah. Have you ever asked a white male poet if yeah. their identity influenced their poems? Right. I want to start doing that. I would love to see that. Like, is just being like, uh, so I noticed that you are a cis straight white man. <laughs> and I'm wondering if your identity has affected your poems. <laughs> and that's why it's so boring. <laughs> the opinions expressed on this podcast are not the opinions of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> of the I, Poetry Foundation, but she does speak for me. <laughs> yes. So tarot cards, plays, poems. And what else? Like, is there anything that like yeah, do you have a, do you need other projects that like like you're just like one of these days I'm so gonna hop into gowns. that and just make an Afrocentric jacuzzi or something I don't know like well, I can't take off jacuzzi so can't take off jacuzzi it's imagine it's cute it's mm-hmm. cute I don't where the jets like are only like pulse to the beats of Nuck If You Buck <laughs> I was gonna say like a 5-4 like African rhythm but Pop. Nuck If You Buck definitely works <laughs> <laughs> That I don't think I have the skill set for that, but if somebody wants to take that idea and run with it, I will clearly sponsor it. Uh, So, artistic collaboration. Yeah, this is kind of the hardest project I think I'm working on is a a memoir. It's a deeper dive Hmm. because in a poem, I find that I'm unpacking a moment, Mm -hmm. and it can be brief. Whereas what had been happening is I was just writing these like massive blocks of text, mm-hmm. no break, stanza, paragraph, whatever. It's mm-hmm. just like, and it's just a lot to pull it all out at once. Mm-hmm. I have a, a lot of pieces right now. That, they're all called Brute, and but mm-hmm. they're different. It's like a different section that is about a person in my life right so like uh one of them is my best friend since high school my mom mm-hmm. uh my dad my brother uh but it it's like literally trying to pack everything mm. about them in at once mm-hmm. to be like okay so they did this fucked up thing but also they did this thing and it's just like rolling tumbling into each other like by the end of it you're like I feel like I know who this person is, but I am also gorged on this person. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to read this memoir. It's kind of like Casey Rochateau Unchained. <laughs> you know, well, like you can't yeah. you can't fit everything into a poem, right? right. Like yeah, the poem, the poem has its limits, but yeah. maybe maybe prose does not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I want to do with it is have a book and go on a book tour with the memoir, but not have it be a normal book tour where you just go and do book signings or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to do a tour of like kind of a comedy special to as a compendium to the book. Hmm. And so I've been plotting that a lot. What Part of what inspired me is, is watching Whoopi on Broadway. Ooh, mm-hmm. Whoopi. That's the best Whoopi too. It's like Whoopi Broadway, Color Purple Whoopi, and then Sister some, Act, Sister, Sister Act, Act Whoopi. 2, and then Somewhere at the Bottom on The View. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's the thing is like 90s Whoopi was everywhere and in everything that mm-hmm. I loved. You yeah. know, like I, I loved Sister Act. She was guining on Star Trek. That's what I was, was like, I was about yeah. to say. She showed up on Star Trek and I was like, oh, I remember this Whoopi. Yeah. I love this Whoopi. Yeah. <laughs> so like because of Whoopi on The mm-hmm. View, I think we sometimes forget like she's been in our lives for so long and is yeah. actually really a legend. Yeah, she's our bougie auntie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Totally. And a friend of mine kept being like, you have to watch Whoopi on Broadway. And I was like, why do you keep telling me this? And then I watched it and I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about that. And I know she does different sort of characters as part of that special. But I wanted it to be something that was both real and talking about my own life experience. But doing it in a way that is funny Mm -hmm. and accessible so I'm like looking at that as something that I'm like, I could do mm-hmm. that from yeah. a different angle. Like mm-hmm. I want to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, humor is has always been part of your poetry, I yeah. think to me, or at least do you, do you feel like that's a direction that you're moving into? Like 
more towards comedy in general? I do. And here's the thing is I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. I've been told <laughs> since I started doing performance poetry of any kind, I should be a stand-up comic. And there's a way that comics have to hack it out on the stand-up circuit that I'm just like seems like a ring of hell that I don't want to visit. Mm-hmm. I think Especially that, if you've already had to sort of hack it out on the poetry, poetry circuit. circuit. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> start from the bottom again. Yeah, like I don't want to sleep on like gross PVR soaked floors and yeah. whatever. Questionable couches, America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, not man. really into it. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm going to figure it out though. <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to so- somehow bypass that. Maybe you can skip a few that. steps, you know. Maybe you like test it out of it, that class. Yeah, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I... I Part of me really wants to write for TV also. Yeah. I love comedy. It's just not the easiest thing to try to always be writing comedy in poetry. Mm. Poetry is not necessarily a good vehicle for humor. That's true. It's great when it does, but I think yeah. the funny poet is a hard road to walk. Very I, much yeah. So. yeah. They play a lot into each other, though, right? Because mm-hmm. comedians also, the best comedian is not just funny. Mm-hmm. You know, the best comedian That's also true. is able to give you something to ponder upon right before you bust out in tears and laughter, you know? Um, I think about Ellen DeGeneres and, you know, and uh, Richard Pryor and I don't, I I almost said Steve Harvey, but I never want to speak his name. (laughs) There are even, there are even like parts of like more recent Cat Williams stand-up that are kind of like that, you Mm know? (laughs) Uh, What's what's Homegirl name with the Netflix special? Ali Wong. I yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> I really like yeah. And I resisted watching her for a while because I was like, I know who she is. She's just me, probably. <laughs> I don't need to watch myself. And then I watched her and I was like, I love this bitch. <laughs> She's me. She's me. <laughs> and also me. Also, yeah. Yeah. You've got a little Ali Wong in all of us. I know, yeah. <laughs> I think inside of every black gay man, there's just like a little like pregnant Asian lady. Just with <laughs> Interesting theory. That is a hot take on (laughs) how things work. I got got some sources, you know. (laughs) Mainly me. I think it's just because I text you all the time does not mean, you know. This is true. This is true. This is true. (laughs) But does it? But it might. It does not, 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 not mean that. There we go. (laughs) Who just called you because that is the look of death? It's a number that I don't recognize, and it's a Boston number. Uh, so it uh-oh. is either a bill collector or a relative that I don't have their number saved. So either way, let it go to voicemail. Yep. Looking for poems in all the wrong places. Looking for poems. I, I printed this poem, but my kitten bit it. Ah. What's your little kitten's name? Uh, I can't wait to see photographs. Here's a story. My my cat, Omar. Yeah, I heard. Um, so That cat was a fucking badass. I know. Jeez. I have a 12-year-old neighbor, mm. Mahin, who he's actually probably 13 now. I call him the mayor because anytime I need to know what's happening in the neighborhood, he has the scoop. And after Omar died, he came and he like every single day after he came home from school, he'd knock on my door and just be like, hey, how are you doing? I just wanted to see how you were feeling today. That's so sweet. He's a total sweetheart and he felt so bad about the cat. And so 
my birthday was a week ago. Mm-hmm. Me and some friends had gone to this flower farm, and we came back. And, like, when we came back to the house, Mahin showed up, like, five minutes later. And he knocked on the door, and he was like, hey, so I found this kitten. It was abandoned by its mom. And I know that you lost your cat, and I thought maybe you'd want this kitten. Oh, my God. And I was just like, did you know it was my birthday? He was like, no. And I was like, I literally can't say no to you right now. Like, you have a tiny kitten. You're the sweetest human being. And, and it's, it's my birthday. birthday. <laughs> Good job, Mayor Mahi. Uh, yeah. yeah. He should be the actual mayor. I know. I want him to run for mayor of Detroit. I feel like he could do it. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Her full name, her full proper name <laughs> is... I uh, the sentence starts this way. <laughs> yeah. Aria Kavanzane Lobeja Lakator Rashto Bird. Okay. <laughs> I call her Beast Mode. I just thought we would call her Beast Mode. Beast Mode. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Or Aria they hear LaBeja in there? Yeah. Okay, good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Incredible. Anyway. Do you want to tell us anything about this poem that you are about to read? Again, this is me inserting myself into some shit that is not necessarily my shit, but it applied. Yeah. I was reading uh, War of the Foxes, which mm-hmm. is Second's, yeah. I think his most recent second? book. Yeah. Yep, his second book. Yeah. yeah. Second and most recent. And he's talking about a lot of different things, but through this lens of like dropping you into a landscape and there's just a lot of sort of tension in the way these poems move mm-hmm. and I really loved reading them I liked the motion of them mm-hmm. but then I the theory or the philosophy behind them sort of made me like this is like some very intense aggression mm-hmm. and violence yeah. that I don't necessarily have access to but that I have feelings about mm-hmm. I chose this poem because I, I kind of just like some of the lines in it but it's a newer poem it's called Still Life with Sirens and Corpse Mounds After Richard Sykin. One. The landscape is a violet feather, a boa ripped ostrich flesh like a newborn. It is a metaphor for night or blackness. And for now, the canvas is edgeless. I paint a mountain of bones and call it historic. A reef of salt. A tribe once mine or owned me or all dead now because men came and painted war fifes across the canvas like marking new constellations. Even the feathers are at war with rain, not to speak of the boil or pluck. What is the point of everything if I can't win? I think is what you're asking. And isn't that an arrogant wind, curling the clouds over the skeleton hill estates? Everything I paint becomes a map of a galaxy where the men have only conquered one bead of sand and salt. There is a tide now. On the feather's edge, lilac, I paint myself as a branch or a buzzard scoffing at all the way things die and never know the difference. I did research. I carved crop circles into the plumage, a hoax trying to make significance. I toss my head into the whale's mouth or the green sky. I stab the men as they clamor to bomb my painting. All life is having things taken away before you even know they belong to you. Two. Let me tell you about war. To the Greeks, dirt meant matter out of place. Mm. An eggshell cracking apart after you pull the grenade pin. All enemies come to us first as figment. I muddy the trenches. From my spine, a plume of dead fruit tree. Or diamond, a flame under a soldier's boot. Every kind of violence is possible, believe me. 
I was born under a blood blue sky. I'm the hero and the rain, and the paint seems to make my point for me. The only thing I love more than an enemy is the cornucopia of flame in my wake. Okay, so every episode, we also like to play this game called This Versus That. Okay. Because we're really good at titling games. <laughs> um, where we pit two things against each other, and then you have to tell us who would win in a fight. Actually, you know what, Casey? I think we got this idea partly from your Mary Fuck Kill <laughs> that you made us do at that AWP panel. I think yep. it was it was, it was was Mary Fuck Kill. What was it? White feminism, liberal pacifism, and then... It was like the concept of academia in general. Yes, that's what it was. Academia. Oh my god! So we like to pit two sometimes intentional things against each other, and and you tell us which ones will win in a fight. Okay. So for this week's this and that, um, in one corner we have world legend Sisyphus, and in the other corner we have his long lost new cousin Nigafus. a polite ring of the boxing bell. Uh, <laughs> Nigafis. Nigafis wins uh, hands down. In the story that Jonah wrote, Nigafis takes out a couple gods with him. Okay. With the watermelon? Yeah. Mm. After sure. it's there's a whole thing. I don't want to I don't want to give too much away. Uh-huh. Gotta read the poem. Yeah. But my money is squarely on Nigafis. Uh <laughs> His just name is also Nigafist, though, you know? Yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like, you know, which also kind of sounds like Nigafists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fight. I do this. <laughs> also, that is such a deeply silly name. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would just like to make sure that that was clear. <laughs> yeah, no, it just we became a game page. where we were turning every character from Greek mythology into like uh, Icarus became Nigarus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a fun game. It's a fun game to play. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, this might be controversial, but once you make something black, it just always wins. It's like, who wins, Harry Potter or, like, Black Harry Potter? Black Harry Potter. You know? Wait, well, who's Black Harry Potter? Huh? Jaden Smith? Yeah. Pro- yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm out. Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are the best. You are literally um, the best. What? Where Pretty can people okay. find your work and find you? You can find me in these streets. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, my work... He's on the internet, caserashto.org. Shrine of the Black Medusa, Tarot decks, poems, other assorted imagery, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. symbolism, Mm -hmm. and innuendo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Also, on my website, it has like like nice quotes about me. And then there's the last one is like, since 2011, I have been tired of Franny Choi. <laughs> That's my favorite one. So thanks for making me seem cool. Hey, I do it again. <laughs> okay, so that was our interview with Casey Rochateau. Oh my god, that was so good. She's a scholar, fighter, lover. I just learned so much. 
uh, from that, I'm about to go laugh into a barrel right now because <laughs> I'm so excited. Can I, can I like borrow that barrel after? Just, yeah. I just want to hold that laughter. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I got you. I cool, got cool, you. Cool. I got you. Uh, so before we got out of here, we just wanted to pull a tarot card for our listeners one time. Just uh, something to leave you with a little something to like to meditate on in your weeks until we come back with you with some new fresh funkiness with a new poet. Yeah. I have pulled the star. Uh, the star mm. is a card that speaks to hope, inspiration, generosity, and sincerity. Um, and so I want y'all to hold all those words with y'all as y'all go throughout your days. Make sure that you hold some hope. Make sure that you are sincere with the people around you. And remember that you are inspiration, that you are the inspiration for this show. And we hope you go out and inspire some other folks, too. I can't believe this podcast has now turned into a motivational session with Denise Smith. And I love it. Let I'm me tell you, I am, I'm just waiting for Oprah to call me so I can get my like life coach on. Okay? Yes. Like, Ayanla, move over. Denise. Nanla is here, okay? Denanla. Denanla. It's a situation. <laughs> so let's go ahead and wrap this shindig up. We got some folks to thank before we get out of here. I, first of all, would like to thank Cocoa Butter mm-hmm. um, for always making a way where there is no way. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like summertime. And I, I appreciate it now because it's like summertime when we're recording this. And so I know that I only have to put on one thin layer of that creamy yellow goodness. And I can be my whole unashy black self all day, all day long. I would like to thank whatever will be the imagined not yet created version of Amazon Prime that doesn't like oppress people. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just thanking the future for creating an Amazon Prime that can get my goods delivered to my door in two days without, you know, having people uh, collapsing in a factory. Yes, um. We'd also like to thank the Poetry Foundation, especially Idami Noriega and Elizabeth Burke Dane. Um, thank you to Post Loudness. Thank you to Podcast Detroit for hosting us in their beautiful space with a very well-stocked fridge. Thank you to Rosie Fitz for driving us over here. And thank you, as always, to our producer, Daniel Kisslinger, for making us sound smart and cool. Kind of. Uh, you know. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. Remember, be like the star, generous and hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.